Welcome to the Park Church Sermon Podcast. This is the audio portion of our weekly sermon. For more resources, check the show notes or visit www.parkchurchdsm.com. We'd also like to invite you to check out our weekly podcast, Inside the Park, where we take Sunday to the weekday. Available everywhere you get podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hallelujah. Great to see you this morning. If you've got a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn with me to Genesis, and we're going to be in chapter 39 this morning. If you have noticed, and you probably didn't, but maybe a few of you did, what about chapter 38? We'll come back to that as our story progresses in the life of Joseph. But chapter 39, and we're going to be verses 1 to 19 in just a moment. I want to give a special welcome to you if this is your first time here at the park. We're so glad you're here. Uh, my name is Brad. And I have the privilege of being the pastor of this church, and so thank you for being with us. We do sincerely want to get to know you, so if you would take out that Connect card, fill that out for us, drop it off at the rug in the back, and we'd love to get back with you and give you a couple of gifts for being with us today. So thanks for being here. And we've been working through a study in the life of Joseph. This is week three of an eight-part series that we'll take a break for for Easter But uh, we have seen already how God has been working, getting Joseph exactly to where he wants him to be, and our story picks up on that very same thought this morning. So you woke up this morning after a long spring break, maybe you went away, maybe you stayed home, maybe you're at work, and nothing changed for you this week. But you probably woke up and wiped your eyes just like Joseph did on this morning where we're picking up in our text. Joseph woke up looking out into the hot North Africa sun as he thinks about all that he has been through in the last moments of his life. He's been betrayed by his brothers. He's been sold into slavery. And as he wakes up, he hears the voice with a little bit of an accent in it from an Ishmaelite who he's been sold to. The illegitimate son of Father Abraham is now calling out to him and saying, Hebrew, get up, it's time to go. His chains rattle as he stands up. As just a few moments before he left his father as the prized prince's son, he's now a slave as he walks through the sand, descending down into the land of Egypt. He sees the Nile shimmering off in the distance in all of its glory. The pyramids are on the horizon. And as he gets into this thriving, busy city, he sees these false gods, false deities who are everywhere. And then he's yelled at and said, step up onto this block as Joseph is placed on the auction block. And a man comes up speaking in a language that he isn't familiar with, and he's pointing at Joseph, and he buys him, brings him down, and Joseph goes into this monstrosity of a house as he's been bought by one of the high-ranking officials in the height of Egyptian pagan society, and now this is his life. This isn't what he had dreamt of. This isn't what he thought was going to happen just five days earlier, but here he is. His life has been turned upside down. But I want to tell you this morning, in the midst of all that, God is blessing. God is blessing. You might say, really? 
It doesn't sound like God is blessing him at all. How can that be? Well, we looked at last week that God is always working even when we can't feel it, even when we can't see it. Now that sounds like a song I'm talking about right here. But here we are explicitly told by the writer of Genesis, who we believe to be Moses, that God is blessing Joseph in the midst of this upsetting situation. Do you want God's blessing? Do you want it? You need it. We need it as a church. Without God, without his blessing on us personally and corporately, we can do nothing. And so I want to talk to us this morning about biblical blessing and what that looks like. And what we're going to see in our text, in this story, a real true story that actually happened, that perhaps God's blessing, what the Bible says is blessing, is altogether different than what we normally think of when we think of blessing. So if you have a Bible in front of you, it's going to be on the screen next to me. We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 39, and this is what it says in verses 1 through 6. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guards, brought, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. Now you're going to see as I read this, I want you to count with me. Just keep a tally on your finger there of how many times you see God blessing Joseph through this text, okay? At the end, you're going to shout it out to me. Just keep a tally and let me know where you see this in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. Is that one? I don't know. It's up to you. You can decide. Serving in the household of the Egyptian master. When his master saw the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From that time, he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. How many did you count? Five? Nine? Okay, that's a wide range there, okay? But you can see that this, whether you say five or nine, obviously the point here is that God is blessing. And here's what I want you to see, just three things this morning when in regards to God's blessing. Number one is this, God is blessing in situations you didn't desire. God is blessing in situations that you didn't desire, or maybe another way, in situations that you didn't want. Joseph did not want to go to Egypt he would have loved to have stayed home. Now listen to me here. This is very important. Joseph was a victim. He was. There were terrible things that had been done to Joseph in this moment. But here's what's so magnificent about Joseph is he wasn't going to trade one slavery for another, being enslaved to now playing the part of a victim. He does not do that. But instead, he makes the best of his situation. He works hard, and his hard work pays off, because why? God is blessing him. He's in Potiphar's house, who's the captain of the guard. He's a high-ranking Egyptian, and he becomes the personal attendant, a charge of everything in Potiphar's house. 
Now, this gives us a little bit of a fulfillment of what God told Abraham many years ago. Who blesses you, I will bless. He himself says that Potiphar is blessing you. He's being good to you. I'm bringing blessing to Potiphar as a result. Now, you personally might find yourself in a situation you never expected. You might find yourself in a situation that you didn't desire or never would have asked for. And I want to encourage you this morning to look at the example of Joseph, to not downplay your situation, but don't play the part of the victim here either. But look and see, where does God still want to bless me? Where does he want to bless others in the midst of where he has me? So often, we say, God, would you give me an easier path? And we miss his blessing. When really, we should be asking, God, can you give me stronger shoes? To stand firm in the midst of where you have me. To know that I don't need a different path or something easier. That you can still bless me in a situation that I didn't desire or that I didn't want. Okay, so don't look for something new and escape paths to get you out. Instead, say, where does God want me to bless, be blessed in this situation? And how can I bless others as a result of this situation? Now, he's going to see this unpack a little bit further. But there's something about, interesting about Joseph. People are starting to notice Joseph especially the ladies, all right? Look at me in verse 6. Now, I love when Moses, like, wrote this down. What must he have felt like when he said this? Now, when he wrote this, now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. That's like Moses' way of saying Joseph was a stud, all right? This guy was amazing. It's the same thing that's actually said of his mom, Rachel. Remember that? The same thing is said about her is the description of her son, now Joseph. He looks like his mama, all right? And if you can imagine, word is getting out about this new slave that works for Potiphar, and the ladies are gathering around the well, and they're saying, did you see Joseph? Man, oh man, that guy's arms, wow. And you know what? He's got a face that matches his body. This guy's he's good. And you know what, girl? He is a leader as well. It's like, whoa, yeah. All the single ladies were talking about Joseph. Now, what's interesting, though, is that it wasn't just the single ladies that were talking about him. Either. Let's look on together in verse 6 through 12. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in the house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil? And how can I sin against God? Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. 
Now one day he went to the house to do his work and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. Potiphar's wife notices Joseph and relentlessly is pursuing him. This is what I want you to see secondly. Not only is God's blessing in situations you don't desire, but God is, God's blessing does not guarantee an absence of hardship. God's blessing does not guarantee an absence of hardship. Everything is going great, and this happens. Did God remove his blessing from Joseph's life? No, he didn't. Now, we tend to think, if I'm not prospering, God isn't blessing. But often, the two things go together. I think about our church. Right now, God is obviously blessing us. As we continue to see new people come here, new people hear the gospel, as we see people serve, as we see people grow, God is blessing us in a great way. But let me tell you this, God is also blessing us in ways that we don't publicize on our social media. Hurting and struggling marriages, hurting people. The two often go together, and we don't want to separate and say, God is obviously blessing here and he's not blessing there. No, it's for our good. God is bringing about both of those things. And perhaps maybe the greatest blessing in your life right now, listen to this, maybe the greatest blessing in your life right now is actually going to come through hardship. That doesn't feel like a blessing in the moment. But God is blessing and working none the same. It doesn't guarantee an absence of hardship. Now, if you look at this text, it makes logical sense for Joseph to just give in to this temptation, right? I mean, think about this. He's been sold, he's been sent, and now this beautiful woman wants to be with him. Logically, it's like, yeah, God has not given me what I want, He's withheld from me, therefore I can do this, I can indulge. God, in fact, owes this to me. And in fact, it will probably even better my standing here in the house because Potiphar's wife is going to be thrilled with me and no one else is going to know about it and I'm going to experience some things that's been keeping, that God has kept from me. Now, can you imagine, this is teenage Joseph. He's 17 years old. And day after day, this lady is coming after him and saying, be with me, be with me. Now, I, I just can't imagine the knots, the turmoil, the things that are going on inside Joseph's heart in this moment. Now, we can learn from Joseph here greatly because I think this is how sin works in every situation. I'm not getting what I deserve or what I think I deserve. God is keeping something from me. I'm not getting what I want. I've worked hard. It's, it, things aren't getting what I desire. I didn't get the promotion at work. I'm having relational struggles. Therefore, I can give in to sin. But Joseph shows us that no matter what, God's blessing is not a guarantee of hardship. Now, I want to stop here for just a moment. And I want us to not miss this little portion of our text to briefly look at this temptation. Because this is a temptation that transcends time, doesn't it? 
It's not like Joseph is getting his goat stolen and like, yeah, I can't really relate to that. No, everybody can relate to this temptation. So I want to just give you just a couple of thoughts here from Joseph of how to have victory in temptation. The first one is this, count God's blessing. This is just from Joseph's life right here. There's all kinds of other things in scripture, but just from this text alone, Joseph recounts God's blessing to him. And all that he has, your husband trusts me, he says. He's put me in charge. He's been good to me. Think about all the things that I would be giving up by doing this. Sometimes when you're faced with a temptation, which is really a test, is to look at your life and think, it might be difficult right now, but where are the ways that God actually is blessing me that I'm not thinking about or seeing? It's good to recount those things in temptation. Secondly, he calls the temptation what it is. Look at it. He says, how can I do this immense evil? Do you see that? He doesn't say this is like just something bad or this isn't good for society or it's not good in general. He calls it out for what it is. He says, what you're asking me to do is evil. Now, when we look at temptation, we can, sec- we can look at that and talk ourselves into it's not evil, is it really? I mean, it's not really hurting anybody. It's not hurting anyone. It's just giving something just for fun for now that I want to do. But actually, it's immense evil. And oftentimes when I'm tempted on my phone and I want to look at something, I'll say that. I'll say, this is evil. Call the sin out for what it is. And then he says, how could I commit this evil? evil against Potiphar? No, he doesn't say Potiphar, does he? He says against God. So you need to see the heinousness of your sin if you give in to this temptation. That it's evil. That yes, it is against a person at times, but ultimately it's against a holy and righteous God who you're sinning against. And even though no one would have seen it happening in this situation, God would have. And Joseph knows that. Third, he says, or it's run. Run. 2 Timothy 2, 2 says, flee youthful lust. Flee youthful desire. Joseph knows, and for us, the negotiations and the reasonings are over. He just needs to get out of there. Did you know the Bible never tells us to manage or even fight against sexual sin? It doesn't. It doesn't say manage your sin. It doesn't say fight against it. It is meant to be fleed from. Now, some of you right now are thinking, I got this. I can manage this. It's all under control. And you're flirting with sin, thinking everything is going to be fine, when in reality, what you need to do is to flee, to run from it, because you're not strong enough to manage it. You're not strong enough in your own strength to do it. To flee means to run like an escaped convict with no rest. To keep running and going and going and leaving this temptation behind saying, I can't manage it. And listen, some of you right now, even last night, 
This last week, as I talk about these things, things are coming to your mind of temptations, areas that you gave in this last week. Am I right? It's coming to your mind right now as I say those things. You can be like Joseph. Hear me on this. You feel like that temptation. There's no way of escape. You can never get away from it. But listen, you can. You can be like Joseph. Joseph. Yes, he is not the ultimate point of this story, but he is a great example here of someone who can have victory over temptation. Because listen, you can't do it in your own strength, but living in you, if you know Christ, is the Spirit of God. And he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The same Spirit is living inside of you. And you can have victory in the power that God supplies. So don't give up. Don't give in. Recount God's blessing. Call the sin for what it is and flee from it. Now I would imagine you're a lot like me. And you've given in to temptation more times than you've fleed from it. I want you to know that when I say that you can be like Joseph and have victory over this temptation, that I'm speaking from experience. I'm speaking from a a sexual sinner who God has given long-term sustained victory to by his grace. And so I want you to know that I'm speaking from God and his grace has given that to me. And I think about all the times, though, that I didn't run, that I didn't flee. Presently and in the past and in the future, here's some good news for you. There's grace for you. There is grace for you because there was a better Joseph who always obeyed. He was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. And listen, if you know this man, Jesus Christ, your record is not your own anymore. It belongs to him, and he's given you his perfect record through faith alone. That's what you have in Jesus. Oh, how good is he! How majestic is this God? How wonderful is he that you can stand before a God because of Jesus, not of the good things that you've done, but because of his goodness and stand before him completely righteous. Oh, there is hope for you that you can have victory. And there is comfort for you when you don't, that there is a God who stands in your place who was slaughtered because of your sin and mine and has risen again. He's the lion, the conquering lion. We sang about that, but he's also at the very same time the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. So Joseph has obeyed. Now everything should be right, right? Let's look on, verse 13. When she saw that he had left his garment with her, he had run outside, she called for the household servants. Look, she said to them, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me, and I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, she left his garment beside me and ran outside. She put Joseph's garments beside her until the master came home. 
Then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make me a fool. But when I screamed for help, he left his garment beside me and he ran outside. When his master heard the story of his wife that, that she told him, there are things your slave did to me, he was furious. And he said to him, thrown, he threw, had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. Verse 21 says this, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. Thirdly, this is it. God's blessing does not guarantee absence of hardship, and sometimes it gets worse. All right? You're like, whoa, this isn't very encouraging. That doesn't sound like my best life now. Sometimes it actually gets harder. Look, I obeyed, and the situation got worse. Listen, the Bible is not against prosperity. Sometimes God brings it about in your life and brings you great prosperity, and you shouldn't feel bad for that. But it's not a guarantee that your obedience is going to make God do what you want him to do. Because most of the time, sin offers an instant pleasure followed by a sting. But obedience is a sting followed by a later pleasure. So in the midst of where you live and you're being obedient, you can enjoy the present joy of obedience to Christ. Let me explain. So when I was in seminary several years ago, I was taking an online class. And if you've ever taken an online class before, aren't they like the, the test that you have to take online by yourself? There's so much temptation in that, right? Have you ever done that before? Right? I mean, it's like awful. You're just sitting there by yourself and the professor's like, make sure you don't cheat. Right? It's like, okay. Right? Uh, so I'm sitting there and I'm taking this test. And I had studied really hard for it. And I, up until that point, I had a 100% passing grade in Old Testament poetry. Aren't you glad your pastor knows his Old Testament poetry? Come on, right? But we got to this one question in there. And it was one of those questions that I, you know that stupid question that no professor should ever put on a test, right? This is what was going through my mind at the time. And I thought, well, I want to keep that 100 up. So I felt my heart pounding, and in that moment, I went and looked at my study guide and filled in the right answer. Turned in my test and went on my way. Now, in that moment, it felt really good because I was going to keep my 100% grade, but I went to bed that night and my heart was beating out of my chest. And I was like, what did I just do? I cheated on a Bible exam, <laughs> right? And the Lord would not let me sleep I called my professor in the morning or emailed him and I said, I cheated. It was one answer. Whatever needs to happen, so be it. You know what happened? The next night I slept like a baby because I had made things right. And now someone gave me the other day, or I had to get my transcripts, and I looked at it and it said Old Testament poetry, C minus. Because I got a zero on that final and dropped my grade all the way down to a C minus. But I rejoiced at that C minus because I did what was right. Even though in that moment it wasn't, I made things right. And here's what I want to tell you. Sin is pleasurable or you wouldn't do it. We wouldn't do it. But it's a fleeting pleasure. It's a pleasure that doesn't last. There is a lasting pleasure that comes with obedience. 
And Joseph now finds himself on the prison floor where he is. And I think that he's sleeping pretty well because he knew that he was being obedient to God. So you need to look at the lasting obedience that comes from doing what God does. Joseph is put into prison. It's interesting here, though, because you notice Potiphar here, if he did what was right and what was expected, he would have had Joseph executed. But instead, most people say that the anger is not turned towards Joseph, but turned toward his wife. Because he knows Joseph's impeccable character. And he knew that his wife was making it up, but he couldn't go against what she said. And so he knows that he is wrongfully sending Joseph away to prison. Things got worse for him before they ever got better. But I want to go back and just show you one important detail that's very easy to miss. Because it says that God's blessing was with him. When he was in Potiphar's house and when he was in prison. It says the Lord was with Joseph. R. Kent Hughes points out that, that is the only place in this passage and it's mentioned eight times that the word the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is mentioned in the story of Joseph. Not until the very end when Jacob says it when he's on his deathbed. And here's why that's significant. Moses is showing us that this is not just a big, vast God, which you would see in there if you saw the other name for God, which is Elohim, which means creator God, big, huge God. Instead, in Joseph's hardest moments, it says the Lord was with him. Moses is saying, Lord is the covenant name of God, the relational God. When he appears to Moses later in the burning bush, he says, I am Lord. I am the God that's with you, that has made you promises, that never leaves you and is always by you. So God was bringing about his plan in Joseph's life but he wasn't doing it in an unfeeling way. He was with Joseph all the way through it. The Lord, the relational God. There's a big God that's in charge of all things, but there's a God that also goes through everything with you. And so you may think, what is God doing? Where is he working? He's working with you. He's working for you. Romans 8 verse 28 says this, we know all things work together for good to those who love God. Amen? We love that verse. Who are called according to, what's the next line? His purpose. It's His purpose. You are doing it for His purpose. So Joseph is saying, is a picture of this to us. That God is bringing about His blessing for the benefit of others. God is bringing about his purposes in the world, and it's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for the world if you trust him, and he's always going to be with you, even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it. He's there, and he's good, and he's perfect, and he cares about you. Did you hear that? He cares about you. He does. He feels with you. 
You don't hurt in isolation. If you know Christ, he's present with you. So as we wrap up this morning, let's put those points back up there again. Just to be reminded of this, sometimes God blesses us in prosperity, but oftentimes he blesses us in situations you didn't desire. It's not a guarantee that there's going to be absence of hardship. If you trust Christ, even if you put your faith in Jesus, it doesn't mean that all your problems are going to go away. In fact, they might get worse. But you have a God that has died for you and rose again, has taken care of your sin, and your future will be incredibly bright through faith alone. And you have a God who is present with you in every circumstance. What kind of person would you be if you lived your life under the blessing of God despite your, your circumstances? You wouldn't be a victim. You would be someone that Satan trembles at. What kind of church would we be that pursued the blessing of God despite whatever was going on in our church? What kind of impact would we have that we're going to continue to trust God we're going to be a church that Satan is going to tremble at as we tremble at God's word. Maybe this morning you're a slave to sexual sin or there's a huge temptation you're facing right now. Would you indicate that on your card? We want to, don't just want to say go have fun and do whatever. Now that you've heard this message, we want to help you. We want to give you counsel. We want to encourage you. You know, 1 Timothy 2, verse 22 says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness along with those who are calling to God from a pure heart. So you run from sin, but you pursue Christ. He's the aim of where you're going, and you don't do it alone. We do it together. And just as Joseph, his obedience was painful and it cost him, we have a better Joseph who was wrongfully accused, but it was for our benefit so that salvation could be given to us for free. Won't you trust him today? The price has been paid. Trust him for salvation. Christian, won't you trust him today for your further life, for your present life? God's blessing is everywhere. Let's live in it together. Let's pray.